Hello, listeners. Just before Christmas, we recorded an episode where we kind of wondered whether humans might have been tweaked by aliens, and we had a pretty goofy discussion about whether it was just some random stoner alien sitting on a beanbag going, hey, dude, should we play with the monkeys? Or whether it was sort of you know, aliens who had some grander mission and cared about the monkeys. <laughs> well, it was sort of entertaining. Actually, it was very entertaining. We yeah, had a great well, time doing it. Yeah. But today on Blind Insights, we are going to talk about what could have been, and based on the argument I've read, probably was the first extraterrestrial intelligent entity made object to spin through and then out of our solar system, which is a pretty amazing idea that we may have already had our real first encounter with something made by another intelligent species. And yet the vast majority of astronomers don't deal with this very well. So that's what we'll be talking about. The ultimate hidden truth of the world is that it is something that we make and could just as easily make differently. David Graeber, 1961 to 2020. Welcome to Blind Insights. Nanu Nanu listeners, uh, joined today with David Orney. How are you, David? Nanu Nanu, my pink coffee is empty. <laughs> and my microphone is sinking. Oh. I'll sink my chair. Ah, oh, for every problem perfect. we have a solution. The microphone won't stay, stay up and the chair will go down. <laughs> that sounds so bad. That's much like the pre-Christmas discussion. <laughs> well, I, I'm, you know, I, I like thinking about extraterrestrial life. It seems to be a... Those things that most people uh, have an like an interest in. in there are in some two sense, kinds you know? of people: people who like sci-fi, and those other people we don't talk to. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's something that you can ask someone, and they will even if they kind of don't know or hadn't thought about it before, they will still say something that's probably vaguely interesting yeah. about it. It's yeah. a conversation that will get most people involved. That's right. It, yeah. So you know, today we're, we're gonna. Talk about serious stuff and then probably make alien jokes after. So October the 19th, 2017, uh, observatories in Hawaii start picking up an object moving through the solar system that goes around the sun and accelerates away from the sun. That's pretty wild in its own thing. Astronomers got very, very excited they roughly worked out its size, and that is that it's probably about 100 metres by 20 metres and flat like a pancake. Well, Rocks and comets aren't flat like pancakes. No. It started at something called local solar rest. Or local, no, I can't even remember the science term. This is the bit I don't get real well, so I'll use the analogy. They think it was probably literally just sitting in deep space almost like a navigation buoy sitting in the ocean that just holds its spot. And then the solar system literally ran into it like a ship. So it's not that it was whizzing across space, you know, randomly. It was like it was almost sitting and waiting to line up with our solar system at some point. It moved towards the sun at a consistent pace, exited away from the sun going faster. Now that only normally happens if something is a comet 
and you can see its comet's tail. And by bleeding off the gas by being close to the sun, it's the gas that gives it the acceleration. There was no gas, so it wasn't a comet. It was also far too shiny. It was shiny like polished metal. Astronomers got super, super excited. And the chief astronomer at Harvard, Avi Loeb, who is a really amazing guy, fascinating to listen to an interview, and his book about this extraterrestrial is really interesting. Um, He went, hang on, what have I been working on for the last few years? A billionaire asked me to work out how we would get human-made probes to other planets near other stars within our lifetime. And he worked out that the best way to do this is a thing called a light sail. Whereas a light sail is flat and reflective, you take it up into space, you unfold it, you mount a camera on it, you mount electronics on it, and you use a ginungus, and that's a technical term, (laughs) a ginungus laser in space, a 100 gigawatt laser. And you give the light sail pulses of a couple of minutes at a time over multiple days and you accelerate this thing that only weighs a few grams despite being big and flat and shiny up to potentially as high as 0.2 the speed of light and it's beyond us at the moment to do this and send it to a planet near a nearby star Mm. but it's nearly doable yeah well i mean it is uh 83 times the power of uh, the flux capacitor (laughs) Had to have a Back to the Future gag. Yeah. As long as it's Back to the Future 1, the rest of them are weird. 100 gigawatts, that's insane. Yeah, it's a pretty awesome laser. (laughs) But, so the point is that in the vacuum of space, photons act like a directed wind. So if you push something with photons, you're pushing it with a wind. And if you're pushing something tiny and flat, well, that's a flat surface. It's like pushing a sail. That's why these things are called a light sail. Mm. So RV Loeb looked at all the research he'd done on light sails and went, uh, and this object, what it ends up being called is Oumuamua, mm. which is the Hawaiian word for a scout. Cool. So they even named it going, whoa, this is extraterrestrial and it's moving funny. Mm. Is it deliberate? So even the name suggested they kind of wanted to be honest about what it is. Yeah. And yet Avi Loeb is about the only major astronomer who still got the guts in public to say the best hypothesis that fits the evidence is that this is a light sail from another intelligent species. Now, based on the evidence, which, again, the science about how it was sitting in deep space, almost like a buoy in the ocean, and then the solar system crash into it, then the gravity of the sun pulls it in, and then it accelerates out. The maths and science of all of that, that's the bit that's a little bit beyond me. Mm. But the fact, it didn't behave like a rock. It didn't behave like a comet. We can tell the difference between remaining space junk up there and an object like, you know, Oumuamua. Mm. So why, when it fits this hypothesis brilliantly... Can't we just go, the most likely hypothesis is that we just had our first encounter with a device that we can say was made by another sentient species that was exploring the galaxy. Because that whole idea, isn't that exactly what we've been looking for? Sometimes we want... We enjoy we the movie, yeah. but we don't want the reality. We don't, yeah, that's right. We don't, we don't want... We, we don't, 
we look for the answers, but we don't actually want the answer that we get. Yeah, precisely. And that's kind of R.V. Loeb's argument in his book, Extraterrestrial, mm. that we are not modest enough or grown up enough to deal with the reality that we have probably had our first encounter with something made by another sentient species. Mm. Because if that's true, we can't make a light sail yet. So whatever this species is, whether this thing was oh, launched yeah. a million years ago or a hundred years ago, is so you know significantly more advanced than us. So you know if this is a light sail, if Oumuamua is a light sail, and the problem is you know it did lap us on, spun back out of the solar system, and is back in deep space. Okay. So it's gone away with whatever data it got and could be beaming that data home if it was a modern new thing and was actually working. Mm. Of course, the other argument is this thing could have been millions of years old and from a civilization that explored space but no longer exists. Mm. So Avi Loeb has three important points. Why aren't astronomers and other smart astrophysicists and physicists willing to follow the evidence? And he makes the argument it's largely because your careers in those areas are about doing incremental research that does not change the paradigm, and that's how you get funding. Mm-hmm. So they reinforce conservatism. Mm-hmm. The second thing is that we can't get over our freaking egos that we're amazing in the centre of the universe, and this would prove we're not. Mm-hmm. And the third thing is we don't want to face the reality that if we look at how many stars have planets in the habitable zone, the likelihood is that life is very common. Mm. But if life is very common, how many species out there in the galaxy have got to the point of sending technology out to look for other sentient beings right before the point that the fact they had advanced technology but were still fairly barbarous like us, that they took themselves and their planet out? So well, Yeah, that doesn't seem out of the question for us either, no. does it? Yeah. And this is R.V. Loeb's point. This should be a wake-up call to us. It's time to get over our shit. Stop fighting amongst ourselves. Stop wrecking our only home. Mm. Stop having dumb wars. Because we can't afford it. Because if we screw up this planet, we poison it too much. We waste too many resources on pointless activity. Mm. We'll die. Yeah, We will die an immodest arrogant species that had a chance to know they weren't alone and screwed it up. And of course the likelihood is with the number of stars with planets in the habitable zone that plenty of species have gone under. So in multiple ways from R.V. Loeb's perspective this should be a massive wake-up call for us. It should make us go we aren't alone, we aren't the smartest kid on the block and if we want to meet the people who sent it or the next people who send something like it, we need to stop being destructive and wasteful. Mm. So he almost wants it to be the stimulus for us to be modest and humble and start working collaborative towards yeah, I was about a better to say, and collective, right? Yeah, collaborative. Rampant, rampant in individualism is kind of what leads to that ego. Yeah. Because if you start identifying with yourself as a human being and identifying with others, I should say, and identifying as that group rather than as yourself as an individual, yep. you start probably gaining a little bit more humility about yep. how exactly amazing you are. Look, normally collectivity works best when there's someone to compare against. 
Right. Well, we just got our someone to compare against. There you go. A species who made a light sail. Which says, uh, what if they are still alive? And what if they actually got data on our planet on the way through and went highly polluted? That's easy, easier of, not to think that. Yeah. Mm. Sorry. Well, it's a th- just think what they would have seen if this thing did have the advanced cameras and could start streaming data back. Uh-huh. Now, it'll be decades before it gets anywhere. Right. But what if they find out if the humans are currently at the point of polluting and destroying their planet, wasting resources, and from what we could tell from Sickles Intercepts, uh, they're fighting with each other and there's no collective action to solve the major problems. Mm. So by the time we try and do something more than a solar sail, they may not be there. Mm-hmm. Imagine what it would be like if you're the species that gets that data coming back. What are we going to feel like if we can do solar sails? Yeah. Light sails. Again, solar sails is what sci-fi called them. We need to start calling them light sails now that we understand we can push them with lasers. What would it be like if when we send light sails out you know, to our nearest stars where there are planets in the habitable zone, if what we work out is there had been a civilization there and there's now nothing? How's that going to make us feel? You know, to know that another species got a little bit in front of us but couldn't learn the lessons of being civil. No, it doesn't seem like we like... We don't seem to take those learnings from collapsed civilizations on our own planet. No, we just like looking at them and buying the, you know, buying the, the remnants. <laughs> yeah. So the interesting thing here is you know, there's two very big implications in the short term beyond how do we become modest and humble and change our approach to the universe and the first is what the hell's wrong with academia that the evidence fits light sail mm. and astronomers are now arguing with rv Loeb, the chief astronomer at harvard one of the most sophisticated astrophysicists in the world and they go no it's an asteroid no it's not asteroids can't accelerate away from the sun mm. it's a comet it accelerated from the sun no it's not it didn't have a tail and it doesn't reflect like a comet reflects light. It reflects light like polished metal. So we now have advanced astronomers and astrophysicists saying it's a rock or a lump of ice, despite not fitting the evidence. We now have crazy ideas coming out like, oh, it's a kind of comet we haven't seen before made out of a huge lump of um, you know, liquid nitrogen that's set solid and has got a really shiny surface. <laughs> Something we've never seen. Now, comets aren't flat like a pancake. So even if it was a lump of liquid nitrogen, a lump of liquid nitrogen is not going to be, well, frozen liquid nitrogen. I should probably just call that frozen nitrogen. All the physics says is not going to look like a pancake. Mm. So why is academia being dense? <laughs> And of course, Karl Popper argued soon after the end of World War II that it got to the point where the only thing academia was good at was sustaining orthodoxy. So we already have an answer to Avi Loeb's question there, which is a really sad answer because it came out in about 1946. Yeah. So that has to be a question about how do we do pure research? How do we do blue sky research? How does research be about becoming humble and aware? Yeah, maybe it doesn't work like that in the collective. You have those few individuals who dis- who go against the grain, disturb the orthodoxy, and mm. what's the disruptors? The, mm, the disruptors. Better. Disrupt the force, Luke. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and Turing wasn't particularly 
orthodox and didn't fit in with the rest of his... Oh, but they punished him his whole personal life oh, absolutely. until he killed himself. Yes, but... Uh, but he, we benefited so much from his disruption. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah. like, you know, it's, 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 mm. it's not all is lost, I guess. We no. can still torture those few people who will give us the greatest discoveries of our mm. civilization. Of our yeah. <laughs> but I think the other question that the book raises is the one that really will would be the most important immediate change. Mm-hmm. And that is the RV Loeb makes the point, we need to start doing astroarchaeology. Interesting. We don't know if Oumuamua was young or old, if it came from a living civilization somewhere else or a long dead civilization or a very long dead civilization. And with the number of stars and the number of planets in the habitable zone, Okay, we're on Mars now going, ooh, was there ever bacteria when it had water? Yep, look for that. But look for, you know, space junk. Mm. Look for things that suggest other sentient species have been exploring the galaxy. We we nearly missed Oumuamua because we don't look for things made by sentient beings. Otherwise, we could have looked at it for a lot longer we may have even been able to get a rocket or satellite up in time to fly parallel to it and look, is its surface engraved with any kind of symbolic system? Mm. We write made on Earth on everything Mm. and we try and, you know, put pictograms on things to go, this is where we are and this is what we are. Mm. So what could have we learnt from Oumuamua if we'd started to take an astroarchaeology approach that we may not ever meet another living species. The gaps could be too big between things. The time frames of the universe are too big. But we might more and more regularly encounter artifacts. And if we could understand an artifact, what kind of wake-up call would that give us about being modest and humble and working collectively to maintain our home so that one day when we you know, find the next artifact we can do something really powerful and important with it. Mm. Anyway, really big, important things to think about. I think it would be really cool if at uni there was you know, a major or a minor in astroarchaeology. Mm. I would love to put that into my master's program, <laughs> to have a minor in astroarchaeology. It would be cool if we did some kind of exchange to NASA or something. Oh, Dave at NASA, mm. can I press the buttons? <laughs> no. <laughs> Why? Maybe we should put you out as the the first blind man in space. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hey, it doesn't matter if my eyes deteriorate on the International Space Station. Yeah. Which eyes do and no one really wants to talk about it. Oh, that's interesting. Because it's freaking everyone out. Multiple astronauts have lost proportions of their eyesight on the ISS. Do they know why? Yep. Okay. Because gravity makes the eyeball maintain the right shape. And maintaining the right shape and the pressure keeps the retina healthy. And what they're suspecting is that without the gravity, the eyeball changes shape, which applies pressure on the retina, which is somehow causing damage. They should have um, people mate up there so we can speed up evolution to beings that can cope with no gravity. But then how are they going to cope back here? Oh, yeah. If they come back down... Well, again, um, in the expanse where people on Mars mm. have very different skeletons. They're taller and thinner. Yeah. And and struggle on Earth. So, so can we have can got you do back like to an sci-fi. amphibian? Like do, do you want gills? 
no, no, but like, no, but like, you know, the 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 interspace equivalent of an amphibian, someone that can go no gravity and gravity. Well, that's probably you know to be born with gravity because thicker bones are more useful everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we we did get off track <laughs> beyond the science, <laughs> which is fine, and we said we would. <laughs> so it's you know, so fun to think about. Now, all of you, when you finish your degrees. And you're asked, what thing do you wish was in your degree? Mm. Astroarchaeology. Yeah. <laughs> and add in that David and Tim should be the first professors of it at whatever university. <laughs> so that we get a funding stream to be able to go hang out at NASA and go, can we press the buttons? Can we? Yep. Like, how awesome would that be having blind insights from NASA? Go, they've taken over the controls and they're pressing buttons. Yeah. <laughs> Oh no, they've just made first communications. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that went high there and did a wave with a cigarette lighter and a Blind Insights t-shirt. Yeah, we should just sneak every every mission out with a USB drive of all of our episodes. And so. a big picture of us on the uh, mm. the probe. Yeah. Probably yeah. a real picture, not the caricature. I wonder how long it'll be before we can start streaming our podcasts into Stella. Man, if anyone just beams them via community radio... They'd be out there. I guess so, yeah. All right. What we need to arrange is to get Blind Insights on community radio. We'll have to talk to Andy. Yeah. We need to be in space. We need the aliens to go, hey, there's these dudes who want to set up the first astroarchaeology yeah. department. Let's go help them. We need to take the Ozcast Network's Big Brain channel. To space. To space. Big Brain in space. On constant loop. Oh, this is so exciting. Listeners, have you given up listening to this episode yet? <laughs> Cause, well, because once it's in space, it will go forever. Good thing is, is we don't have to waste too much of your time. Uh, thank you very much for listening, everyone, and thank you, David. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, listeners, and hopefully you like the fact that we try and put serious stuff with at least a few bad gags. They're not that bad. No, they're okay gags. <laughs> Catch you around. Bye. Hello, audience. Thank you for listening to Blind Insights. If you're enjoying the show, please remember to subscribe and share your favourite episodes or leave us a review if you really love us. We'd love to hear from you. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter at Blind Insights or send us a recorded question to the email in the description to feature on an episode. Also, don't forget that we have merchandise. Thank you to the Ozcast Network. Peace out.